Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles here this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'm going to read from a familiar hymn, Channels Only, hymn number 521. We're going to sing this for our hymn of invitation this morning, later. And I'm going to read the hymn to you, just the uh, verses. It says, How I praise thee, precious Savior, that thy love laid hold of me. We can all say amen to that, those of us who are saved. God's love laid hold on us. Thou, talking to God, thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. What's a channel? A channel is something that holds a liquid or a water, water perhaps, a liquid of some kind, and that channel is used to transport that which is life-giving, water, uh, to some place that needs, needs life need sustenance. When Cindy and I were in Israel several years ago, and we were near Caesarea, there's an old Roman aqueduct there, and it's pretty much broken down and unusable at this point, but for a time, the problem in Caesarea was there was no good water source, but Herod the Great wanted the city built there. <laughs> but what is everybody going to drink? You know, bottled water wasn't invented that yet at that point, and so they built, and they, using slaves and and workmen and engineers, they built an aqueduct to transport what, was, what would be life-giving water to, to a city that needed water. And Channels Only is all about God saving us and us being the channel through which his love, his grace, his mercy, his righteousness can flow. The second stanza says, emptied, speaking of ourselves, emptied, that thou shouldest fill me, a clean vessel in thy hand, with no power, but as thou givest graciously with each command. Jesus, fill now with thy spirit, hearts that full surrender know, that the streams of living water from our inner man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ living in us, from our inner man may flow. And then he sings, Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power, flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. When I, when I read that hymn and when we sing that hymn, i got to tell you, that's my heart's cry. That's my longing. Um, I am nothing in and of myself. Several weeks ago, maybe it's been a month or more ago, we uh, looked at a passage in Corinthians where the Apostle Paul uh, spoke and wrote down the truth that we're just old clay pots that God can use for his honor and for his glory. I'm just a channel that if I'll say no to my flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit, God can use me for his honor and for his glory. Uh, you're in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, let's let's uh, look at a passage of scripture we're going to be studying here this morning. And uh, Last week, of course, we saw that we are to walk circumspectly. We saw that there in, in verse number 15. See then that, thou, that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Uh, and, we, and we studied and we understand what walking circumspectly is all about. We're, the word circumspectly meant, means looking all around. 
being completely aware. God just doesn't expect us to go through this life uh, unprepared or not paying attention and, and just say, well, God, this must be part of God's plan, my bad decisions. That's not what he expects. He expects us to think. And so we saw that walking wisely or walking circumspectly, we ought to do it because it's wise to do it, because life is short, because the days are evil, because God has given us a mind, and because God has a plan for our lives. Now, the plan, what, what is God's plan for our lives? Uh, throughout this passage over the past couple of months, really in chapters 4 and 5, uh, we've seen it very obviously mentioned that God is concerned with our walk. The walk, remember, is symbolic of the way we're living our lives. God is interested in how you and I are living our lives. Um, and remember, he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk worthy of the unity of the Spirit of God. Don't walk like unsaved people walk. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't live your life like them, he's telling us. And then, of course, in chapter 5, he said, follow God. Well, what does that mean? Well, he, he told us, uh, walk in love. Walk in sacrificial, selfless love. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. Not in darkness, like, like the Gentiles or like the unsaved people walk in darkness. You used to be darkness. You remember he told us that? You used to be darkness. But don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. And then he said, walk wisely, walk circumspectly. So in a nutshell, that's what the will of God is. Follow God. There it is. Two words. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? And do I want to know what the will of God is for my life, Seth? Follow God. Okay, there it is. Okay, what is it? Walk in love, walk in the light, and walk wisely. But I have a big question. How am I supposed to do that? I mean, I know me pretty well. How are you supposed to do that? I mean, I know that God saved us. He took the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians to remind the church at Ephesus, this is how God saved you. You were dead, and God has given you life. You were aliens from God by wicked works, and he has made you his children. You used to be darkness, but God has made you light. That's wonderful. That's reality if you're a child of God, but... His will is that I follow God. And I've been living my life, my whole life, for me, not for God. So how in this world am I supposed to follow God? And the wonderful truth that we're going to see this morning is that God has made a provision for you and for me to be able to do his will. God has provided us, I can say it this way, with himself. He's going to empower us so that we can follow God. Uh, let's look at our passage here, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 17. And I'll read down through verse 21. He says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, the word unwise means mindless, but understanding, that's continually, daily, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then in verse 18, he tells us what it is. Verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In a nutshell, that's the message this morning. Be filled with the Spirit. Some of you might be wondering, is Pastor Ferguson going to start speaking in tongues, so-called tongues? 
No, I'm not. Um, is Pastor Ferguson going to have a healing service this morning and start laying hands on people? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, uh, one so-called revival, I don't think it was a revival at all, but so-called revival in a Baptist church in the South, they would bring venomous snakes into the service, and that was part of the revival. I honestly have no idea what venomous snakes have to do with a church or a revival or the Bible or anything like that. I don't know what they were doing. So if you're wondering if we have venomous snakes outside, we don't. We have none of those. We don't want them. If they're on the property, we kill them, okay? Uh, We're against them. All right. So what is it then to be filled with the Spirit? Because that's the command. I could say it this way. The will of God, we're we're commanded to be understanding what the will of God is. Okay, that was in verse 1. Follow God. But how? Uh, Being filled with the Spirit is the other side of the same coin of follow God. It's the how to follow God. It's how God can take a person who used to be lost, who has now been saved, and can take that man whose life used to be dedicated to fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and God can take that man, and that man can now be selfless and loving sacrificially. He used to be darkness, but the filling of the Holy Spirit can make a man light in a dark world. He used to be unwise, living foolishly for the present day. But when a man is filled with the Spirit of God, he is wise and he is circumspect. circumspect. He knows what the Word of God says and he recognizes the evil of the world around him. He is filled, he is controlled with the Spirit of God. And and what what is the result Or what are the signs of someone who is filled with the Spirit of God? The charismatic movement would say, well, you have to be speaking in tongues, which the word tongues in the Bible uh, means language. (laughs) So sometimes in charismatic movement, people begin to babble. They're not speaking any language at all. They're gibberish. They're making noise, but they're not talking. It's not the tongues of the Bible at all. That's not what the Bible was talking about. Um, some would say, well, that's a sign. Others would say you have to be able to heal somebody to be, if, to be known if you're really uh, filled with the Spirit of God. But that's not what the Bible says. In, our, in the context of this passage, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then in the next couple of verses, the next three verses, there are three signs or evidences or marks that will be in the life of a believer who is under the control and influence of the Spirit of God. What are they? We're going to see them this morning. Look at verse 19. The first one is joy, or having a song in our heart. Verse 19, he says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So there's joy in the heart of a believer who's filled with the Spirit of God. Look at verse number 20. The second sign or mark in the life of a believer who's filled with the Spirit of God is that they're a thankful believer. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that this morning. Giving thanks always for all things. Are you always thankful for everything? Are you? Uh, I'm not. Mm. 
Cindy came home. She, she took one of the girls to a birthday party, and she came home yesterday about 1230. And I had I, done some work in the morning, and some of it I had spent studying. And uh, she came into my office, and, and I looked at her, and I said, Honey, I'm not filled with the Spirit as much as I ought to be. And one of the things I was convicted about is because I'm not thankful like I ought to be thankful. Okay, we'll look at that. The last one is in verse 21, and it really leads into the rest of the book. We're not going to preach through the rest of it tonight or this morning. Uh, but in verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves. He's talking to a church, and he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he really gives us three marks of of someone who is. Uh, They have joy in their heart to the Lord, in verse 19. They're thankful for everything that's going on in their lives, in verse number 20. And they're in harmony with God's people, in verse 21. So this morning's message is not going to be vague. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're not going to walk out of here not knowing what the filling of the Spirit of God is. And more than that, you're going to know if you are a child of God who is filled with the Spirit of God. And I can tell you right up front, this is God's will for your life if you're a child of God. Uh, Look again at verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. Don't be mindless. But understanding what the will of God is. And what is it? Be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, this morning. There are so many in this room who are born again. Heaven is our home. And we love you for the salvation that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we praise your name for your salvation. And we do not fear death and hell to come because we've been saved from it. But Lord, it is your will very clearly that is stated in this passage that we would be filled with your spirit. And Father, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts this morning. Father, I pray for some in this room who may may not be saved at all. And Father, maybe their lives are what they would describe as a disaster or maybe their lives are very well squared away. But, Father, they've never been saved. I I pray, Lord, that they would believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would be saved. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so my question is then to us as we start this passage, and really it's already been clearly stated, be filled with the Spirit. We're to understand what the will of God is. That's to be filled with the Spirit. It's to follow God. Um, So I asked you this question, how is your walk? How is your life? How are you living your life? I've been transparent with you this this morning already, uh, just about yesterday, and sitting there at my desk, having studied out this passage, and coming under intense conviction that, you know, sometimes it's not that I'm not a pastor. It's not that I'm not trying to to live to a standard. It's, It's not that I'm not doing my best, but there are times I was convicted, Seth, you're not filled with the Spirit of God. You're not. And here's the thing, if we're not filled, if we're not controlled by the Spirit of God, we're being controlled and governed by the flesh. The reality is, the flesh, the flesh 
doesn't do anything good. Okay, the Bible tells us that. Paul said that in, in me that is in my flesh. Well, it's no good thing. Okay, but the reality is a person who's moral or has character, and especially a person who has discipline, even an unsaved person, can hold to a standard. You see, the Bible is not just a set of rules and standards for you and I to live up to. And if I check off all those standards, then I attain something. No, no. The Bible actually reveals to us our inability in our flesh to meet the standard of God's holiness. The inability in our flesh to truly, before God, follow Him. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk wisely. The Bible reveals to us our inability. But then in verse number 18, he says, I'm gonna, I've, I've made a provision for you. I've actually provided for you what you need to please God and to walk worthy and to fulfill the will of God. Now, uh, that's the will. Okay, follow God, walk in love, walk in the light, walk wisely. But how are we to do this? By the filling of the Spirit of God. And that's what I want to look at here this morning. God wants us all to understand what the will of God is, and that's to be filled with the Spirit of God. Look again at verse 18. I want you to think about this. It's, it's very interesting, this verse. He says, be not drunk with wine. Now, we know this is not uh, the fruit of the vine kind of wine, a new wine, uh, what we would call grape juice, because a person can be drunk with this kind of wine. So this kind of wine in verse 18 is an alcoholic wine. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about alcoholic drinks or uh, these sort of drinks, a drink that is alcoholic, and it is all negative. Uh, and he says here, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But then there's the positive. So he uses a negative illustration to, to help us understand the positive command. He says, But be filled with the Spirit. And so... This is God's plan for our lives. It's, it's God's plan for the lives of his people on this earth that we would be all filled with the Spirit, that we'd be controlled by the of God, that we would be under the influence of the Spirit of God and not living according to the influence of our godless, wicked flesh. And as I was thinking about this, I asked a couple of questions, and you answer them to yourself. Is your life under the influence, is your life controlled by, governed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God? Is your life controlled by the Spirit of God? Is, is your business, you're a businessman, a businessman, you're, you, you, own your own, you own your own company. Uh, is your business and your business dealings, are they governed by the Spirit of God or are they controlled by your flesh? How about your family and your home? Is your, is your home governed by the Spirit of God? We had a weed whacker, a, a weed trimmer stolen out of the back of one of our, of our men's trucks while they were here taking care of the property a week or two ago. So I went and bought another weed trimmer this past week. And, uh, and he, the guy who I bought it from, he showed me how to run it, you know, and he said, it sounds a little funny, and you're going to think something's wrong with it. Everybody does, but it's really not. That's just the way they're meant to run. It has a governor on it, so it keeps it from over-revving. So it's protecting the engine. It has a governor on it. 
I'm thinking this is just a weed whacker. You know, I mean, does it really need a governor? But it does. It has a governor. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit of God is to be our governor. He limits things. He empowers other things. He's the one who's supposed to be in control of our lives. He's the one that we're supposed to be yielding to and saying yes to. And so I ask you, in your home, is the Holy Spirit... God, the Holy Spirit is God. He's not less than God the Father or less than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is fully God. Is the Holy Spirit in control in your home? The Bible in in Ephesians chapter 6 over in verse number 17, you might look there, it's just across the page. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And then he tells us what the sword of the Spirit is, which is the word of God. Did you know that, that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit? A sword can be a defensive weapon. A sword can be an offensive weapon. Um, and, and, and you might ask yourself the question this morning, are you spending time in God's Word? Are you memorizing God's Word? How much of the Bible do you know? Now, we have some people here this morning, you've been saved for 40 or 50 years, you've heard thousands of messages and sermons preached. Um. And, and you've heard a lot, you know a lot about the Bible. And there are some in this room, and you've been saved maybe for three months. And, and you say, Seth, I'm not even sure I know the books of the Bible. There's some of them, what is it, Habakkuk? What, Habakkuk? What? Why do you even say these things? I don't even know the names of these books, what, let alone what's in them. You know that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. How would you like to go into battle if you were fighting in those days with no sword? The the Bible is the tool, it is the the weapon that the Holy Spirit of God uses in your life and in mine. And that's why it's so important to to make sure, and I'm preaching, I guess, to the choir here on Sunday morning, is to make sure that you're here to hear the Word of God taught and preached. Take advantage, take advantage of these opportunities to hear the Word of God preached. Um, I heard about a a boy in in our church, and he's kind of grown up at Trinity Baptist Church, and he, his family brings him to Sunday school, and I guess he's about 13 years of age now. And, and in his school, they were asking some questions about the Bible, and he was knowing many of the answers that they were asking about the Bible, of those questions. And uh, somebody asked him, how do you know all these things? And he said, well, I learned them in Sunday school. I learned them in Sunday school. And you know what? It's free. <laughs> it's free. By the way, Trenton Pritchard, I don't often pray that God will call a man into the ministry but I'm going to pray. I'm going to begin to pray that God calls you into the pastoral ministry, okay? And then you get back with me someday, and you, you remind me what it's like to work, what is it? Not work and get paid. All right, there we go. All right. I'm saying that with thanksgiving, by the way. Okay. So is, are our homes controlled, are our thoughts controlled by the Spirit of God? Charles Spurgeon, an old pastor said this. He said, when home is ruled according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay with us and they would not find themselves out of their element. Think about that. The the abode of angels is heaven with the Lord. Um, If angels were to come and stay in our homes, would they be out of their element? Would they be be offended? I'm talking to believers here this morning. Would they be offended if they were in your home? Would, would they be offended if they were in my home by what I allow to be seen on the television? Or what, would they be offended if they rode along with me in my truck and, 
and I turned on the radio and I listened to what I normally listen to, would they be offended? <laughs> I thought that was a good quote, good question. Sadly, I think most homes are not governed by God's word and even some homes of professing Christians. And, and, and every time this happens, the consequences are tragic. Would angels be comfortable in our homes? Would they be comfortable in our relationships? Would they be comfortable in our entertainment or in how we run our businesses? Or would the rebellious demons of hell be more comfortable in our homes? Would they be more comfortable with our language? Too many marriages end in divorce. And nobody knows how many husbands and wives who are still living at the same address have divorced each other in their hearts. They share the same address, but they're not, you're not, they're not united. And what's the answer to all of these sort of problems that I'm, that I'm asking you about? And the answer is the Holy Spirit of God. It's only by the Holy Spirit that a husband and wife can walk in unity And in the context of our passage, if you were to look ahead to verses 22 down through verse number 33, the entire passage is about a husband and wife relationship. And it's in the context of the Holy Spirit of God. If you want unity in your marriage, you need to be governed by the Spirit of God. If you were to look ahead to chapter 6 and verse 1 down through verse number 4, he's going to talk about parents and children. What kind of a relationship should parents and children have? And there ought to be unity there. There ought to be joy there. There ought to be the spirit of thanksgiving there between a, 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 a son and a father or a daughter and a father and children and their mother. There ought to be a spirit of thanksgiving and unity. And yet so often there's not. In, in chapter 6 over, in chapter 6 and verse 5 down through verse number 9, he's going to talk about employers and employees. And he's not going to tell them they ought to strike. or that you ought to complain, or that you ought to be harsh and take advantage of one another. He's not going to tell them that. It's all in the context of the Spirit of God. Now, notice again the illustration in verse number 18. He says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible has a lot to say about alcohol. It tells us not even to look at it. Okay? I, I printed off a, an article by Kelly Fitzgerald the other day, and it was just, she had some statistics on alcohol, and she gets them from the CDC and some other, some other sources. But I'm going to read to you some statistics about alcohol. She, she wrote, uh, she quoted, 88,000 deaths are annually attributed to excessive alcohol use. In other words, they drink themselves to death. It's the third highest cause of death in the United States. Another quote, Every day almost 30 people in the United States die in a motor vehicle crash that involved an alcohol-impaired driver. This amounts to one death every 51 minutes. Long-term alcohol use can cause serious health complications affecting every organ in your body, including your brain. Additionally, it can damage you, you emotionally, your finances, your career, it can impact your family, it can your friends and the people you work with. She quoted, women who binge drink are more likely to have unprotected intimacy and multiple partners, and these activities increase the risks of unintended pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. And I would add to that abortions as well. 
Number five, she quoted, 100,000 persons die each year from alcohol-related causes, drinking and driving crashes, other accidents, falls, fires, alcohol-related homicides and suicides. Another one she quoted, 696,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are assaulted by another student who has been drinking. Number 11, approximately 7,000 children in the U.S. under the age of 16 take their first drink every day, which is a major problem because those who begin drinking before age 15 are four times more likely to develop uh, alcoholism than those who begin at age 21. I'll read just a couple more. Teen alcohol use kills 4,700 people each year. That's more than all other illegal drugs combined. Number 15, 5.3 million adults, 36% of those under correctional supervision, that's prison, jail, on tether, were drinking at the time of their conviction. And sometimes I hear God's people saying, well, it's not totally forbidden. Uh, at some point in the near future, I'm going to preach a miniseries on what the Bible says about alcohol, okay? So it's coming. And we're going to look at it. We're going to look at the words that are used. But when I read statistics like this, nobody in their right mind, nobody who knows God and the life and liberty that comes through a spirit-filled Christian life would ever go give their body over to something else. See, the reality when it comes to alcohol is, and it's different for every individual, he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Well, how do you know when you become drunk? That's the question. And here's the thing. One man with a bigger body might be able to take in more alcohol without, and it takes him a little longer to become drunk. Another person can only drink a little bit, and they become drunk right away. And it's different for every single person. There's a few things that we ought to uh, make, uh, make comments on about verse number 18. Because there's a deliberate parallel drawn between a man drunk with wine and a man filled with the Spirit. What is the parallel? What is the parallel between a person who's intoxicated with alcohol and someone who is filled, controlled by the Spirit of God? I mean, alcohol can take a man who is kind and gentle and giving and turn him into a raging fool who's beating his wife or beating his children or squandering all of his finances or making poor financial decisions. And, 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 and alcohol can take a man who is, I mean, alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol can take a man who, who is angry and he can turn him into somebody who's sitting there crying, needing consolation. And, and there are all kinds of other varieties. But what's the parallel between a, dr- a man who's drunk with alcohol and a man who's filled with the Spirit? Well, there are three of them, I think. One is that both the sp- filling of the Spirit and becoming intoxicated require an intentional choice to partake. Okay? Another uh, thought would be that both the man who is drunk with alcohol and the man who is filled with the Spirit, they both are under the control of an outside influence. And the third truth is that the control of alcohol is temporary. So is the control of the Spirit of God. It's temporary. Now, when you receive Jesus Christ, and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, both of us were, the Bible calls it, we were baptized into Christ. We were baptized by the Spirit into Christ. That's called salvation. Happens at salvation. Uh, 
All of us who are saved are indwelt by the Spirit of God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But the reality is, a child of God, not every child of God is controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what the filling of the Spirit of God is for. It's something that is temporary. So think with me about this parallel for just a few minutes. To become drunk with alcohol requires that an intentional choice be made to drink an alcoholic beverage. A person can say, well, I'm not intending to get drunk, but they don't know exactly when, which one is the last one that's going to make them drunk. It requires an intentional drinking. The filling of the Spirit requires an intentional choice on the part of the believer to submit to the authority and direction of the Holy Spirit. The man that is drunk with wine is under the control of alcohol. He is out of control. One man cries, another man catches something on fire or hurts someone. And and he's out of his mind. He's not thinking clearly. He's not thinking clearly. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse 1, wine is a mocker. It mocks the person who drinks it. You know what it's like to be mocked, to be made fun of. Wine Alcohol is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. But it's an intentional choice. Uh, the, the Spirit of God, to be, to be filled with the Spirit, requires an intentional choice on the part of the believer to submit to the authority and direction of the Spirit of God. And then finally, the man that is drunk with wine is under the control of alcohol. The Spirit the man filled with the Spirit is under the control of the Spirit. And then, this is what I meant to say, both, for both, alcohol and the filling of the Spirit, the control is temporary. A man who drinks alcohol and gets drunk, that wears off at some point. If he wants to stay drunk, he has to keep drinking. In a, in a man or a woman who's a child of God, who wants to be filled, controlled, influenced, submitted to the influence of the Spirit of God has to be continually submitting himself to what the Spirit of God is leading him to do. And we've already talked about what the Spirit of God will lead us to do. Love, sacrificial, selfless love, joy in the midst of a storm, love, joy, peace, when everything's going wrong, uh, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, right? So it's a good thing. Alcohol doesn't lead to those things. It doesn't lead to those things at all. So we're to be filled with the Spirit. I notice a couple things about that statement in verse 18. First of all, it's a command. It's not a request. If you're a child of God, you're expected to be filled with the Spirit of God. God expects us to obey Him. Uh, Secondly, I notice that the command is plural. In other words, it's not just for the church at Ephesus, or it wasn't just for the pastor at Ephesus. It's for all of us. All of us who are saved are commanded by God to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I also notice it's not just temporary in its its nature. In other words, we're not just supposed to be filled with the Spirit when we come to church. That'd be great, but that's not... He wants you to be filled, controlled, led by the Spirit of God when you're in the workplace. He wants me to be filled, controlled, led by the Spirit of God when I'm driving on I-69 past all that construction and... And, and I like to look, don't get me wrong, at, at see the progress, but the person in front of me has to break every time they look. You know, I mean, just keep it between the lines and keep going. You know, I need to be filled, controlled, led by the Spirit of God in that situation. I also noticed the verb, uh, be filled with the Spirit. Filled is in the present tense. You say, Seth, thanks for that nugget. 
Okay, here's what it means. It means keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. Not just a one-time filling. Keep on being filled. In other words, keep saying yes to the Spirit of God in your life. Say yes to him here when the word of God is preached. Say yes to him in the car when you're deciding which restaurant to go to. Say yes to him tomorrow morning when there's some misunderstandings and some disagreements. Say yes to him tomorrow night when you come home and you realize what this week is really going to look like and you're not ready for it. Say yes to him then. Keep on being filled. The filling of the Spirit is something we need to enjoy constantly. It's not just for special occasions. I also noticed that the verb is passive. You say, there you go again, Seth. What's that about? Well, the, word, the verb is passive. That means we don't fill ourselves. My responsibility is to say yes to the Spirit of God. His responsibility is to fill me. To fill me. I heard the illustration, I heard of the illustration some time ago uh, that was given to a group of people and they were looking at this passage, and the comment was made, when, when someone is drunk with alcohol, it's to a certain alcohol content. It's a certain, there's a certain, portion, certain amount that's in their body. They're intoxicated up to a certain level. Anybody who is intoxicated with alcohol 100% would be what? Dead. And there's an application there. If you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, we're saying yes to Him. What are we, what are we dead to? Ourself, our flesh. Some of us are trying to obey the Word of God. We're trying our dead-level best to live the Christian life in our flesh. Remember what Paul said. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. What are we doing? We're caught up. We're all caught up with follow God. That's the command. That's his will. Seth, I know what his will is. I'm supposed to follow him, but Seth, I can't. Good. You understand that. Some of us, we don't understand that. We still think we can do it. We still think we can preach the word of God in our flesh and accomplish God's will. We still think we can train up our kids in the way that they should go in our flesh. We can't. And what he's saying is be filled. Be be consumed, be controlled by the Spirit. Say yes to him. Don't try to live the Christian life in your flesh. If you try to live your if you try to follow God and walk in love and walk in light and walk wisely in your flesh, you're going to be the most miserable person on the face of the earth and you're going to fail. And here's the reality. Sometimes believers start saying, "Well, you know what? The Bible just isn't getting it done or the preaching or the church is I got to and now we start looking somewhere else for helps to live the life that God saved us to live and he says, "No, no. I I I provided for you. I've given you my spirit." We don't fill ourselves, we permit the Spirit of God to fill us. And I, I remind you of this, you and I can hurt Him, we can grieve Him, we can quench Him. Where the Bible says we can extinguish the, the, the power and the influence of the Spirit of God in our lives. We're, we're to be filled, we're to be controlled. That word filled is used in different places. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 28, the Bible says that they, the people there, were filled, 
controlled with wrath. So much so they tried to kill Jesus. They were so filled and controlled by anger. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 45, the same word filled is found. It says the Jews were filled with envy. That means they were controlled by envy and they were opposing the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Sometimes God's people are full of envy, filled with envy. Sometimes God's people, and sadly, this should not ever be the case, but it is, we're filled with wrath, we're filled with anger. And when we're doing that, we're filled by covetousness, or you name whatever the sin is, we're being controlled by that. You know what we're not filled with? We're not filled with the Spirit. We're not filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our minds. To be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our emotions. And to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our will. Are, are your thoughts controlled by the Spirit of God? Look back to Galatians chapter 5 for just a few moments. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and look at verse number 22. And you answer the question in your heart this morning, are your thoughts controlled by the Spirit of God? Galatians 5, verse 22. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, and you either have all of it or you have none of it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, that sacrificial love that believeth all things, right, of, of, of Corinthians. Sacrificial love, joy, peace. Do you have peace in your heart this morning? You're in church. If ever there should be a place where we could have peace, it ought to be here. But again, I tell you that this command to be filled with the Spirit of God and He produces peace, it's not just meant for when we meet on Sundays. And, and again, I'll tell you, I've told you, you might, you might well, I hope you're convicted this morning. I, I trust that all of us are to some degree, but just yesterday, I'm sitting there, and Cindy came in. She said, are you okay? I was convicted. Love, joy, peace. What does he say? Long-suffering, to suffer long? Are you willing to suffer long? You and I could find anybody in the, in the world, we can find people to tell us what we want to hear. This is the truth. The Spirit of God produces suffering, long-suffering in our lives. Gentleness in dealing with situations. Goodness that's pleasing to God. Faith. Meekness that's strength. Temperance. That's endurance. And he says, against such there is no law. You're not going to break the law. You're not, you're not offending God. When you're, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, when the, the Spirit of God is bearing His fruit through your life and through mine. To be filled with the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit of God in our thoughts, in our emotions. You're a, you're a man here, and, and you know what? Your emotion is you're a blower-upper. You have a godless, wicked temper. That's who you are. That's who you are in the flesh. That's who you are. And your whole family knows it. Your kids know. Don't push dad too far. And by the way, kids, you ought not push dad too far. 
That's not spirit-filled Christian living for a, a young person. Don't push that too far. But isn't it, it, what's our testimony in our homes for dads? Well, dad believes the Bible, and he blows up when things don't go his way. It's possible to believe the Bible and blow up when things don't go your way when you're walking in the flesh. But you're not following God when that happens. Is that true? It's true. There are too many things. There are too many things to say, aren't there? There are too many applications for this. We could could name sins for weeks. And what I'm telling you, what you have to understand from this passage is, if I'm going to yield myself to the control of the Spirit of God, He's going to lead my thinking, my reactions, my emotions, and my desires in a way that's pleasing to God. Do you want that? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Or, or are, are, are you still at the point where you're saying, you know what, I really like it the way it is, you know? I hope that's not the case. If you're okay with the flesh living, you really need to ask yourself, is the Spirit of God living in me at all? Is He convicting me? Is he convicting me? Now, I'm not going to preach these three points, okay? But I do want to give them to you so you can think about them, okay? There are three signs that a person is under the influence of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 19. How do you know if you are or not? Well, verse 19, he says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, we're going to look at that verse in detail. We're not going to do it today. But the overriding thought of that verse is joy. When I think of that, this idea of joy. Joy, remember, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, okay? It's right there. Joy is something the Spirit of God produces. Um, I think of the church at Thessalonica, who when they received the Word of God, when, the, when God empowered Paul, and he came in and preached the Word of God to them, they, Paul recounts that they received the Word of God with joy in the midst of affliction. And I want to tell you, joy, we, we don't just say, well, joy is not just something that ought to be a part of our lives when our life, everything in our life is going great. Anybody can have that. Joy is something that the Spirit of God produces. It's, it's a sign that you're filled with the Spirit of God when things are not going well in your life, and yet you still have a wonderful hope in God. Look at verse number 20. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Are you a thankful person? Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God. Giving thanks always for all things. I love these 100% statements. Remember, I've I've told you the best way to lose an argument with your spouse is by using 100% statements. You never take out the trash on time. At some point, your husband's going to say, well, I did that one time. Okay, so you're going to lose that. Don't use that 100% 100 statements in arguments, okay? Okay. But here he has two of them, giving thanks always. And we might say, well, yeah, always when things are going well. No, he says, for all things. Are you thankful? And And that's what convicted me the most. I'm 
supposed to be thankful for all things? You know what I thought of? I thought of some of you in this room, and I thought of people who are suffering in this room, and I thought of people who have loved ones who are suffering in this room, and I thought about situations where things aren't good, and I thought, are these the people supposed to give thanks for that? Should I be, should I be expected by God to be thankful for this? The world says no. The world says no. You deserve better. You're entitled to something better. Somehow the cards didn't play out right for you. God says yes. Seth, you ought to be thankful. Seth, you ought to be thankful. And in my flesh, I can't be, but if I'll yield to the Spirit of God, I will be. And the last one is, is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Three signs, three marks that I'm filled with the Spirit of God, that you're filled with the Spirit of God. I'm joyful, I'm thankful, and I'm submitting myself to my fellow believers and them to me. And within that submitting, there's the idea of one is the authority and one is not. There's a submitting this way, under authority. And there's a submission on the part of authority taking care of and having others in mind for those who work for him. And they go hand in hand. So my question to you, and I'll close, is are you filled with the Spirit of God? There might be some in this room, and you've been saved an awful long time, but you do not know what it's like to live a life that's filled with the Spirit of God. You complain about everything. You complain, you complain to your husband about him. You complain to other people about him. You complain about your children. You complain about your church. You're not a thankful person at all. You're just not. You complain about your job. complain about other people. You complain about yourself. You're not a thankful person. Maybe it's joy. You're not a person who lives singing praises unto God because you're all about you. Or maybe there's no harmony. You're just not a person where harmony, you don't help harmony. You actually pull it apart. You're not submitting yourself. There's no humility. And I want to, I want to tell you something. You're not living the life Jesus Christ died to save you to live. But I also want to tell you this. You can. You can. You can live the, you can live the life. You can walk worthy of the sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ made. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, we've all, we all have the flesh. We've all sown to the flesh, but we also can sow to the Spirit. We also can walk in the Spirit. We can be filled by the Spirit. And the way to do that is the way I've said to you many, many times, and that is say yes to the Spirit of God. Say yes to Him.